0: Welcome back to Transformative Teaching, a facet at IU podcast. Really happy to be back here with you all. I'm Katie Metz here with my co-host, Michael Moroni. How
1: glad are you doing? Us. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Are you doing okay?
0: Yeah, like the okayest thing. I had a student yesterday and I was, was sad, but I agreed. She was like, I just don't have any hope for the future right now. It's week 10. Of oh, the wow. semester. And I went, whoa, she didn't mean it in a way that was dangerous or anything, but I was like, it's like going to be a rainy day and kind of, kind of the slog, but we are here with Emily Beckman, director of medical. By <laughs> the way,
1: I, I was looking at. Um... Her, her. Already
0: interrupting. I, I think
1: it was her teaching philosophy, where she mentions this hope. Uh, actually, it was academic Whoa. interests. Hope is one there of you your go. academic interests. So
0: I, <laughs> well, now we have a theme. For the interesting process. juxtaposition but there, in there Katie. There we go. Right? <laughs> Emily's the director of medical humanities and health studies program, assistant professor of medical humanities and health studies at IUPUI. Emily, welcome to transformative teaching. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Is it gross and rainy where you are right now? I, I need to know that first. It's it's cloudy and just starting to spit a bit. Have you know. been outside to be able to know that? I guess. <laughs> no windows. I am in my, for you? I know I'm also right, my, my
2: dungeon. Um, of an <laughs> are those
1: cinder blocks?
2: They they are. They are cinder blocks, and there are no windows, literally. I am. Wow. Like the the one benefit, Very
0: safe. <laughs> a benefit of doing video on the show might be to show all of the right. dungeons that we're in right now in week 10 of the semester. Oh, right. So, Emily, Facet class of 2022, congratulations! Thanks. You're um, part of a, a very impressive cohort this year. As I had the pleasure of chairing the committee this year and reading all these like really super cool things that people are doing, especially immediately post COVID. Um, oh man, I'm going to start off with a zinger here. What's what's been your favorite thing about being in Facet so far? Just being part of the organization, aside from introducing the PA Mac award winner at the retreat. Dr. Retreat. Gunderman,
1: who, yeah. what is amazing, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, Dr. Gunderman, that, that,
2: that was a highlight for sure. Um, uh, I think so far, you know, I've had very limited um, exposure, but I think um, I really enjoyed the retreat. I sat with a, with a group um, of friends, I mean, new friends, I'd never met them before. Um, and we had a we had a really good time and, um, you know, <laughs> found some surprising commonalities um, in in preferences for, uh, you know, trashy TV. And that was um, we kind of bonded <laughs> over that. So
1: <laughs> I, mean, trashy I mean, no. TV. So what was what, what the what is the traffic trashy TV choice of the facet class of 2022?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was um, embarrassingly um, the outlander series oh yeah so, yeah it's a lesser known uh lesser known series um and uh it's about time travel and scottish history oh, okay. and, um okay. anyway i i happen to be sort of um you know hitting it off with with the woman sitting next to me and um and then we really discovered that we were um, you know meant to be friends once we both realized we loved outlander <laughs>
0: that's anyway, awesome. I digress. <laughs> no, we do not. That's one of the things that's so cool about facet. And and I think you just hit on exactly something that's important about the learn that right away, right? I'm a, I'm an Outlander fan myself. The books, not the series, but it's yeah. uh it's really cool to I think meet people from different parts of IU who have similar interests like that. Um, sure. Emily, we talked in the kind of beginning here, the intro about hope. And one of the things that you talked about a lot in your teaching philosophy or just um, kind of in your your academic interests in general is this sense of hope, but empathy mm-hmm. in medical education and practice. And of course, um, still pandemic, but hopefully heading to brighter times. Can you talk a little bit more about how that how your academic em- interest in that maybe philosophy has influenced your teaching, especially in the last couple of years? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. So, um,
2: so pretty much everything that I do, um, I mean, almost across like teaching, research, and service, um, really stems from this idea that can uh, we can and we ought to um, always be working on 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 rediscovering or redeveloping or growing our um, personal empathy, our personal capacity for empathy, right? And so um, I used to focus almost primarily on, you know, those going into medicine. Um, And I used to look exclusively at literature and film as a way to um, help students going into medicine. Rediscover or redevelop, um, or sometimes um, start from scratch with their personal empathy, right? So that, for obvious reasons, so that they would, um, you know, express empathy to their patients at their most vulnerable, you know, times. Um, and it, it has definitely expanded, broadened, deepened, whatever um, over the years, and uh, especially in the last you know, two or three years with all that's been going on. um, I think that we've, 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 we are discovering that by developing our own empathy, um, we not only become more empathetic towards others and then also provide better care, but we also become healthier, healthier, ourselves, right? So it it does this really cool thing in that we better relate to the other, right, or the stranger, um, or the patient, or whatever it is, right, the person sitting next to us on the bus. Um, but in so doing, we also increase our own sort of sense of well-being. Um, and that does all sorts of things for us, right, especially in, you know, troubling times, which some might say we are in right now. So uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. And, and literature, you know, I've, I've focused less on film now, but literature is, is one way to do that, especially when we don't have as many opportunities to be together and interact with other people, right? So, you know, people used to say to me, "Oh, well, sure, we could read books to do this, but can't we just go out and meet people to do this? And the answer was always, well, yeah, sure. But then we literally, you know, happened upon a time when we couldn't literally go out and meet with other people, so we did need to rely on what was written, right? Are there Stories. are there
1: particular books that you, um, or particular genres that, that you rely on?
2: Well, you've asked the best question here right off the bat. So, um, you know, the studies that show that this actually works really focus almost primarily on fiction. Um mm-hmm. And so, which which may not be sort of intuitive, right? But but fiction allows us to imagine more than nonfiction, right? So we're coming up with these scenarios in our heads, um, imagining what it's like to be another character or someone else from somewhere very different, doing something very different, right? Um, and so that sort of exercises our, our, our minds, our moral imagination, so that we're more prepared to meet the other. Um, I like, um, I was just in a meeting um, before this, but we were talking about our favorite books. Um, you know, well, there are all sorts of authors and genres. I like literary fiction. Um, you know, I think Mary Shirley's Frankenstein is probably the best. Um, you know, if I have to choose one,
0: that's where I was that's going that's next it. with this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, <Yeah>,
0: that's <laughs> it.
2: Um, contemporary authors. Um, you know, Barbara King Silver, John Updike. Um, I could go on and on, but um, and, and and then there are you know, and this is probably. Uh, most relevant for the teaching that i do but um you know physician writers like um william carlos williams or perry class or um richard selzer um right we could go on and on where you know people who actually see patients um on a day-to-day basis and then write about it um, in a fictionalized sort of way you
1: know. Yeah, I love I, I I like poetry quite a bit, and I I write, okay. and so I, I like hearing people talk about William Carlos Williams.
2: <laughs> right. I don't hear that name enough. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Well, it's interesting because my um, uh, the uh, our intro class um, we use um, a lot of William Carlos Williams, and, and I even use him all the way through, uh, you know, to, to fellows in, you know, the, the Palliative Care Fellowship. So it's sort of, you know, he's he's very um, useful in, in many different places. But, um, oh, my goodness, when you first introduce him, uh, his essays or his, his short stories to students, they are appalled. I mean, just appalled that we are reading and admiring this man, you know, and then, mm-hmm. of course, into it. But, this, you know, the first time they read Gene Baikey, they think, what on
0: earth? Who are you?
2: Gene <laughs> Baikey,
0: Anyway, so that leads me to kind of a follow up here, which it was funny you mentioned Frankenstein, because I, I noticed that one of the classes that you've taught in the past, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if you still do, is, is called Finding Frankenstein, and it looks like a four or five hundred level cross-listed mm-hmm. class. I want to know more about this. It sounds so cool.
2: Yeah, so I love this class. I first I first sort of tested it um, as a capstone course for mm-hmm. our graduating seniors, um, and it was so fun and went so well that I did turn it into um, to a to a permanent course. Um, but we, you know, if if pressed um, to identify a single text that I think is most representative of medical or health humanities, um, you know, Frankenstein would be it. Um, you know, for for reasons that are I don't know probably fairly obvious. Um, right. And it really has nothing to do with the fact that many see it as a ghost story, right? It's more of a, of a, of a cautionary tale, but also a grief narrative. Um, right. And, and so in that class, we spend the first three or four weeks just doing a really close reading. Well, as close of a reading as you can, in three or four weeks of Frankenstein, which of course was written over 200 years ago, um, by a very young female. So all of that is great. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, and then we use that as sort of our leaping off point um, to explore the history of medicine, um, the history of science, um, bioethics, medical ethics. Right. I mean, the, the story of um, the development of Frankenstein's creature is rife with ethical issues, um, but also the treatment of right, Frankenstein's creature once he's out and about in the world. Um, is is ethically abhorrent. Right. Um, And so um, we can talk about the ethics of um, scientific discovery. We can talk about um, the development of empathy, a life without empathy. Um, how we identify with the other, what we can learn from books. I mean, right, that's how Frankenstein's creature educates himself, um, by reading sort of great works. Um, and uh, and then we also sort of play with um, um, alternate endings or alternate scenarios. So one thing I ask the students to do is to identify a point in the story where they believe had a different decision been made, the whole story would have ended, um, differently. And so it's really, they
1: actually then write like different endings.
2: Yeah. And then, so they'll create a different ending and they can write it. Um, and I'm trying to sort of broaden, uh, the assignment or they can create some sort of creative project. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've had a couple students in the last iteration do a choose your own adventure, which was fun. Um, but, uh, you know, what was that moment or was there a moment where uh, you know had you know the most obvious is probably had Doctor Frankenstein not turned and you know uh, run from the creature you know would things have gone differently? And then you know there there are many many others um, which is fun. And then and then ultimately we we read it alongside um, Kurt Vonnegut's play just to bring it all back to indie. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's play Fortitude, um, which is uh, you know a much more modern take on this idea of. Um, what is human, right? What makes yeah. us. Are uh, you
1: teaching undergrads with with in this class?
2: Yeah. So this is an upper level. It's a four or five hundred level course. So okay. um, these are junior, seniors and graduate students. Yeah,
1: because I'm saying I'm sitting here thinking about all the different uh, the approaches you're talking about and then the different kinds of books that you're having the students read. And I'm thinking how this is really kind of like a has a lot of potential to be very transformative for your students because you're actually yeah, I, it seems to me like you're like having their minds work in very different ways when they're looking at these different kinds of authors. I mean, vonnegut and, and, and the novel Frankenstein—that's so different. The writing is so different. It's like yeah,
2: the right, yeah. I mean, it is right. The writing is so different. But vonnegut really, really admired Shelley, and you know, and the book, and um, so it's interesting to see his, uh, yeah, his sort of take on it. And then, of course, it's you know, I mean, yeah, vonnegut in and of himself is is a real. Yeah trip, but um, it's fun. But the hope is, right, and this is, um, you know, medical humanities, um, which is often referred to as health humanities, um, uh, but we, we've sort of stuck to medical humanities here, um, you know, is interdisciplinary nature, and that's really what makes mm-hmm. us tick. And so mm-hmm. the idea is by the time st- our students get to you know, a course like Frankenstein, they have been exposed to um, uh, and had significant experience with these different genres, these different types of writing. And so, you know, the hope is once they get to Frankenstein or some of our other courses um, at the end of their career, you know, undergraduate career, um, that they're, you know, they're ready for that. So um, yeah, it's
1: fun. Is it, is, it, is it a pretty large major? We
2: have about 75 majors um, now and, let's see, we started in 2012, so we're 10 years in. Um, um, And we have a a Bachelor of Arts degree, which is what we started as. And then we actually um, um, proposed a a Bachelor of Science, Um, I think that was 2017, that was one of the first things I did um, when I became director. because what we found was we had a lot of pre-health students who wanted to major, but they were having trouble doing that and fulfilling all of their prereqs within 120 credit hours. So, um, yeah, so we just, we just modified the BA a little bit. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we actually offer a BA and a BS, which is, um, which is interesting within the School of Liberal Arts, which is what we are here, right? I know in Bloomington, it's arts and sciences, but uh, here it's a little bit different, so...
1: Yeah, I I teach in a somewhat similar program here at Blooming Tanks. It's business oriented. It's a liberal arts and management program, and I think they have an offshoot of oh, that the program. There. Yeah, yeah hand the hand program. Program. they have an offshoot yeah. of that up, up at IUPUI now too. Um, and I just love teaching in these interdisciplinary uh, classes uh, where you have you know if you have uh, you know in, in this case I might have fifteen students in there, and all of them have different majors. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's just the conversations right. are, are fascinating. Have, have you had um, like what's one of the most kind of interesting conversations you've had come up in the class?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, in a class. That's a good question. So um, I think. So I have two. I have two. Two things come to mind immediately, and um, and so I'll, I'll give you both of them. So the first is in was in an undergraduate classroom, um, and we this was years ago, and this actually extends beyond the classroom. But um, we always read um, uh, in my 301 class, perspectives on health, disease, and healing. We read a short story written by Perry Class called "Invasions." Um, and, uh, it's, it's, a story that, um, I, you know, she was a resident at the time, a medical resident, and she's writing about her fear of sort of treading on patient's privacy. And, you know, she's, she's really specifically talking about the kinds of things that she ought to record in the medical chart, right. And who has access to that and that kind of thing. Anyway, so we, we always, we discuss that, um, we have interesting conversations about it, but a few years ago, um, one of my students who had had that class and who had participated in that conversation um, came back to visit me in his, I don't know, third year of medical school. So it had been three or four years after we had had that conversation and he just popped in my office and I hadn't seen him. He had, he had been on a different uh, med school campus. And he said, I just wanted to tell you that I was having a, a conversation with a patient um, who was a, a female you know adolescent patient and her mother the other day and it wasn't going well and i was really frustrated with the way that i was responding to this patient um, which is unlike yeah, him really very patient um, i would say has really good bedside manner or i would have expected it to he said and suddenly i told myself to pause and i reflected on the conversation that we had had in 301 about the story invasions and i remember mm-hmm kinds of things we were talking about Um, and I then sort of channeled, you know, my frustration and, uh, you know, reset. And then, you know, tried to tried to improve the the interaction. Um, but I thought that was particularly, I don't know, uh, interesting. That that even several years later, you know, the conversation that we had had in class, you know, of which I don't even remember the specifics, um, had impacted his literally impacted his clinical interaction with patients. That's um,
1: super interesting. I, I I think about when I'm in the in the doctor's office and I see them writing things down. I'm like, I'm wondering what they're putting in there. I mean, so sure. Like- I can For totally sure. see how that notion could inspire right. a short story or an essay. And, and, sure. uh, and I can see how that could be a uh, really important in the class. What, like, like sure. a, a yeah. yeah.
2: In fact, one of our, one of our uh, more recent graduates who's also in medical school right now, just sent me last week a piece that he'd published um, exploring um, sort of the, the real ethical responsibility of the clinician Um, in writing now with this open notes initiative, right? So, so notes Mm -hmm. that are, that are available to, to patients, um, um, you know, anytime. And, and he was really grappling with that. So yeah, it's a real issue for sure. But the other one, I think in my um, fourth year elective that I teach at the medical school, narrative medicine, um, a couple of, well, it was 2022 actually, because it was the first time I'd ever taught it virtually. Um, You know, so, at the end of the month, students uh, read aloud their final essays. Um, And um, this particular year, I don't know if it was that we were nearly a year into the pandemic at this point, and students were just feeling desperate. I'm not sure what it was. Um, Or maybe the fact that we were not in the room together reading. So there was a sense of, of safety, maybe. I'm not sure. But anyway, students... Um, as they began reading, almost every essay—and this was probably 12 to 15 students—almost every essay dealt with or, or revealed something that these students had never mm-hmm. done before. Um, you know, so we were all, you know, giving standing ovations from afar. Um, you know, and one of those, one of those students, I said, you know, this is this is incredible and ought to be read, and you know, you need to publish this in JAMA. And sure enough, she. Did, um, oh, wow. but uh, I, I yeah it was it was a real um, it was kind of a real moment I think for everybody that uh, um, that these are issues that we're all dealing with thinking about um, and it's time you know for whatever reason that we that we that we articulate them you know and, and then discuss them you know kind of share them and so that was that was a real moment And that's after a month of intense reading uh, poetry and. Williams and, you know, others, um, and writing for medical students who, who are not accustomed to reading and writing like that, you know, at this point in their careers. Um, so that was really, you know, I I will never forget that, that particular class period, you know, sitting at my house, looking at everybody on the screen and then having those words just one after the other, um, was really, really something.
1: Katie, I was going to let you. You
0: were going to there.
1: You look like you look like you're, you look like. No, everyone, okay. everyone who's listening, we this can. This conversation is going
0: so fast. Even though you like, can't see us, can you,
1: we can see each other. And Katie, you look like you have something on your mind.
0: I kind of <laughs> did, but I was just like letting it, letting you the direction. You've talked a lot about um at the student interaction in the classroom, what you're doing there, and I'm curious about your own influences in your teaching, or academic career in general. Sort of who's been. A catalyst for change or a catalyst for for doing good in the classroom for you who's your inspiration or, or somebody who's guided you along the way how
2: did oh, you get here yeah well that's that's a that's oh, what, yeah, that's, that's, probably... that's a good question um so yeah I mean I really ne- I did not necessarily set out to um, to, to be in the classroom. In fact, I set out to go to medical school, I think like so many, right? Well, I'll major in biology and go to medical school because that's what you do. Um, and then um, and then I did, you know, I had some, um, I went to a liberal arts um, college. And so some of my, uh, you know, was certainly inspired by, you know, there's one literature professor in particular um, who, uh, who inspired me in undergrad. Um, but I did a year abroad in undergrad um, and it was there, I mean, this was 1997. So even the discipline of bioethics was new. Um, mm-hmm. And It was during my year abroad that I, that I was first exposed to a bioethics class. Um, and uh, that sort of, that at least um, motivated me to put off medical school until I could really understand, oh my gosh, right? medicine is not just treating patients, right? There are mm-hmm. big yeah. issues. Um, and I had spent my summers, um, working at one of Paul Newman's camps for children who have chronic mm-hmm. illnesses. And I had, I had gotten to know some kids who had made really, really tough end of life decisions. And I didn't understand them right as a fairly naive college student. Um, I mean, how
1: old were you like 20 years old at this point?
2: Yeah, exactly. I was 20 years yeah. old and, um, And so all of this was kind of happening at the same time that, wow, 12 year old kids are, are having a real role in their decision-making. And, uh, and there's this thing called bioethics. And it sounds like there's some ethical issues that come up every once in a while. I mean, I really had no idea. Right. And, um, and so anyway, so I put it, you know, I put off medical school and did a master's degree in uh, bioethics. And that's where I was first introduced to narrative medicine. Um, And I had a professor at, at, at Michigan State, when I was doing my master's degree, called Howard Brody, who um, was a clinician and a philosopher, and one of the pioneers of uh, this narrative medicine kind of movement. Um, obviously, Rita Sharon is the pioneer, um, but he jumped on that um, on that pretty quickly, um, and so I had the the opportunity to um, to not only shadow him in clinic, um, but also learn from him in the classroom. Um, from a from a much more sort of philosophical perspective. And then he also mentored some, um, you know, individualized readings um, courses for me. And so he was incredibly influential. And that's when I decided um, I like, quite frankly, books too much um, to, to abandon that. And I, you know, at the time I thought, and, and in some of them do have to kind of abandon that at least temporarily to go to medical school. Um, and that's where I was introduced to medical humanities and, um, and then, you know, at the time, and this was, you know, early two thousands, uh, there were two places to go for a doctorate in medical humanities and, um, uh, and, uh, new, new, New Jersey sounded more fun to me than Texas. So that's where I went. <laughs> anyway, so, uh, you know, but it was oh, a way. Yeah, I know. Too,
1: too yeah, I know. Hey, I'm a Texan. It's I'm, great. I'm In fact, <laughs> i am a texan but I, it's
2: fine yeah well but well, that's another conversation right but uh uh yeah. but howard Brody actually ended up leaving michigan state long after i did and he he directed the medical mm-hmm. humanities program at uh at university of texas at galveston mm-hmm. incredible program but by that point i had already you know gone to new mm-hmm. jersey so anyway all of that to say I can't even remember what exactly you asked but I think he was instrumental um, in me in me thinking about health disease and healing and literature and narrative and sort of how that could all work together um and then uh, you know of course there have been others along the way and I always I have to give a shout out to Richard Gunderman because when I moved here um I said, okay, this is what I have, you know. I uh, extensive graduate education in medical humanities, um, and and he, along with my predecessor Bill Schneider, said, um, all right, well, let's uh, let's take it into the classroom. So right. it, uh, you know, it worked it worked really well. And of course, there have been many others, but we don't have. All well, that. it sounds like
1: this first this first sort of um, it's not even a nudge because it sounds like you had an actual. Um, almost like mentor-like relationship with this Professor Brody. Is yeah, that true? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think that we probably all have had that in our, in our um, educations where somebody was just really meaningful because we were able to have more than just classroom conversations. We, we, I, we actually kind of got to know each other as people and um, they showed appreciation for us, which uh, is always moving. And it sounds it, it sounds like you're doing that uh, a lot with your students like I love that story uh, about mm-hmm. how they were reading their narratives and I could I could I could feel what that would have been like to sure. to watch that sure.
0: yeah. Emily, this has been such a fun conversation and I feel like we could do two more episodes like yeah, yeah, fun. For sure. yeah, yeah it's really fun Thank you so much for participating in transformative teaching um here we like I said really really appreciated having you on the show and man what a cool few stories there well thanks yeah this has yeah. been great i've enjoyed it thanks all right
2: Michael. Well,
1: well now now i'll have to go back and, and, and pull up some one and tell us i feel like i need
0: to read there you go. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: <We'll> trade, <laughs> let's trade some book recommendations later there you I'll go you
0: great <laughs> oh, okay. all right thanks all, right. all have a good one. Thanks.